hello 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 okay guys it's another week it's another podcast i've promised to be consistent and here i am i really appreciate those who have um listened to my previous podcast honestly i was overwhelmed i could not believe that much people were even interested in a podcast not like in my podcast you know so yeah i'm really grateful i'm so so grateful about that thank you very much so the book we're reading we're still on the book i am not your baby mother by candace pratt with what it's like to be a black british mother so we discussed the first episode last week if you haven't listened go listen i meant what are you doing if you haven't listened go listen today we're discussing the second episode of the part of the of the um the second chapter sorry in the second episode so the second chapter of the podcast so this chapter is titled desmonds i will just um read the intro at the time of the 2011 census almost 19 percent of black households were made up of a single parent with dependent children this was the highest percentage out of all the ethnic group for this type of household. The next census is due in 2021, which is this year. So that was the intro. But obviously, we all know Desmond. I mean, if you're used to watching TV shows, you know, the show Desmond that was like based, um, filmed in um, Peckham at a barbershop. Desmond, you know, they... The Black Household show, the popular Desmond, that's the one she's talking about. So in the first paragraph, she said, most pregnancy book that seems to like cater for some self-pregnant women. So like the rich ones, the ones that buy the latest things for their children, the ones that are in the higher class and most of the time in our experience at that time when she was pregnant she couldn't find anything not even on the internet not even in the bookshop that catered to women like her that is actually pregnant or what is he like to be a low then she was in the lower class black woman pregnant i'm no influence no affluence nothing she's just a young pregnant woman that wants some information on pregnancy and at that point in time, sadly, she couldn't find anything that suits into that specification. So she said, as a black mother to be with my black partner and my black baby to be, I felt invisible, invisible. So, I mean, that was a bit sad that you think um, inclusion and everything. And at that point, she didn't feel seen. She felt as though she was invisible, which was really sad. Now, on to the next paragraph, she said, she talked about the prejudice and assumptions from healthcare workers, healthcare professionals, um, that so was black women being pregnant. Like, obviously, if you see someone being pregnant and she's a black woman, the first thing you look at is their finger, if they've got a ring, and if not, and then she... If not, you judge them, basically. And then she talk about the um, doctor she went to see to confirm her pregnancy. And then it said to her then, um, 
So, okay, I'll read out the paragraph. I think it's more explanatory that way. She said, right. It said, as I told him, I tested positive in a pregnancy test. And it said, and the father? It swing his eyes around the room, knowing damn well a man wasn't just going to fall from the ceiling. Come on. I mean, why, do you, why is that question necessary when someone's come to you to confirm their pregnancy status? To see if their baby is healthy, to see if they're, if they're okay. Why is that the first question to ask a, a woman that is going through that? What is the father going to do? And she said at that time, Buddy was at work. So he couldn't go to the appointment with her because obviously this is people that are in the lower class. He needs to work to provide for the family. So, and it's, she's just going to confirm pregnancy for God's sake. So the father, why do you need the father in this situation? Why was it necessary to ask for the father? And why was that the first question? You're just meeting me. I've not, I've, I don't know you from anywhere. And you think the first question that you seems that you deem it fit to ask me was the dad of my child. I mean... That's being stereotypical, and that's what she's talking about in the second paragraph about the stereotype from healthcare professionals. So she said she just ignored him and she was just like, he wouldn't dare ask a white patient that question, but she just let it go like, I'm here for an appointment, I'm gonna focus on my appointment and get out of here because she just could not be bothered about it. And she wasn't surprised, to be honest, according to her. So, yeah. She said, and then the the second page, she's talking about our experience of black women making ourselves feel small. I mean, she said, we have a degree in making our, our own self feel invisible with, with the fear that we're going to be missed, we're going to be misunderstood or perceived negatively if we try to, like, open up the whole of herself or just say what is on our mind or just, you know, just be herself. But, yeah, that's what she's talking about. And she said, that happens from childhood. You see a black child, you cannot sit with the elders, you cannot talk where the elders are talking. And she said, those questions are necessary, but sometimes you just have to let kids talk because it's, it's quite important to hear what they're saying because that would not only improve their confidence when they get to the outside world. That would make them feel as though what they're saying need to be heard. And that is very important. That's what she said, that even when she was at home, you'll, you'll be sent to the room. You, even if you sit with the adult, you have to keep your mouth short. And she grew up in, in the Caribbean household. It's very, very similar to the African household. You just have to keep your mouth shut. You cannot interfere to what the adult is saying if it's not your business. Fair enough if it's not your business. But then this kind of fear is in the children that even when anything happens, they cannot communicate with their parent, which is very, very not helpful. So she's just talking that on that topic and she just said it happened from right where we're at home. So... She was, and the last paragraph about talking about that was, there was an internet issue. No one wanted to hear you. And if you could find someone who would, then they went on, and then they went on to believe you. You were a very lucky child indeed. So she said, for as long as I can remember, from what I see, being a black woman has always meant that you were there just to service and please others. Be that your parent, your man, your children, or your employer, if we were to draw up our own elegies, we would perhaps, perhaps 
often struggle to define herself outside the shadows of someone else which is this is deep because i mean everyone should be able to blow their own trumpet everyone should be able to say i achieved this i achieved that without the fear of being of being misperceived the fear of being of being um labeled as being proud or as being some something you're not everyone should be able to draw up their own elegies honestly like so go out there and say i am i am vibrant i am beautiful there's nothing wrong with that and she said we struggle sometimes to define ourselves outside the shadows of someone else which is a bit sad to be honest <laughs> it's really sad but moving on and the next episode not episode sorry the next page and i'm on page 40 second chapter she said do you remember the first time a man noticed you? A friend asked her recently. She said, of course I did. And like all the black girls I knew at that time, I was well underaged. I mean, this is, we, we, we don't speak about this, this abuse in the, in, the, in the, most especially in the black community. And sometimes our silence has made it turn into normancy. Like, I don't understand some you can clearly know this children the, the uniform they even often have on told you they're underage and they're not 18 or whatever the age the gap distance it may be they're not they're not enough they're not grown so why can't you just leave them alone why do you have to abuse people abuse these children and because oftentimes in the black community we are so we're so silent about it, it becomes something normal because your mom experienced it, because your aunt experienced it, because your grandma experienced it, because your cousins experienced it. So it's, it's something normal. No, something that's not normal needs to be pointed out that is not normal. It's, we don't have to like, it's, 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 it's more like we're just applauding insanity, which is mad. Anyways, before I take up much of your time, it said, she said on her way, she, she described on her way from school one day and she got just catcalled by some men at Brixton on her way home. And she, she dared not tell her mum when she got home because her mum would blame her for not taking the longer route home. So she went, she just kept quiet about it. So she said, a black girl's sexual maturing, a black girl's sexual maturing and its subsequent exploitation were usually this were usually played out within the confines of a society like a game of cat and mouse is literally just like ooh, ooh, is that i catch you or i don't catch you and if you try to escape good for you if you don't escape you're left alone nine months after giving back to a child on your own by yourself she spoke about a friend that got pregnant during the gcse and she spoke about her being one of the one this the look like she's got everything together and her head was straight when she later confessed that she was pregnant and her tummy wasn't bloating due, due to the fish and chips she gave back and then they went to see her in the hospital and yeah she spoke about that and how our friend is becoming non like now she's like a nun she, she wouldn't entertain any man in her life which she didn't she did she couldn't blame her she said in the book because what she's been through is not it's not what anyone would want to be no one wants to be left alone raising a child by themselves you know it's it's quite hard 
and then she was talking about then when she wear mini skirt to school okay i'll read out the, the paragraph because this i think is quite, it's quite funny she said most of my school friends were shortening their skirts the skirt arms as they transitioned into teenagers by by now they were being quoted by men in their 20s and the adults around us we knew them baiting eyelid there was a common acceptance that we were now ripe for the picking and i was no exception although naivety admit trick into believing that my skimpy outfit were feminist choices inspired by destiny's child anthems <laughs> that was funny okay okay yeah let's get back to being serious were feminist choices inspired by destiny's child anthems they were a misjudge cry for attention from men who would ride me like a train and then promptly promptly get off at the next stop which is so true like literally the one they don't mean good they do not mean good then in the next page she said she didn't write she talked about it a bit of um, sexual assault, where she was sexually assaulted and she was raped. She spoke about that. I don't want to go deep into that because this might be a sensitive topic to somebody that's been through similar experience. So, yeah, she spoke about that and she spoke about how it happened a day before her 18th birthday. And, yeah, she spoke about... Um, so she then went back to her pregnancy. She said, fast forward, to my, fast forward to my pregnancy and back to where I started this chapter. The reason I was angry with that doctor who questioned the whereabouts of my partner was because it triggered all kind of personal emotions linked to my story and those of women around me. And I suppose I should have been more understanding towards this doctor who had absorbed what the media was telling them. The media work hard, whether deliberately or unconsciously to erase black fathers from the narrative of black families which is so true like honestly i think they've got dedicated teams <laughs> to like just show everyone how missing the black fathers are in the black community which is like so unnecessary it's it's like everyone has a broken family within their community it's not just in the black community why does that have to be the one that's been displayed all the time so you put in this mental instruction into people that black families are dysfunctional every every race has a dysfunctional family that's no news but anyways back to um she talked she spoke about how a book was put out from aqhgcse sociology book uh because the food the book mentioned that caribbean men are largely absent from family situations but and then she 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 went in and justified the book because it was necessarily saying the the truth that the the book was not lying. But then she said, as most as as with most things race related, it is far more complicated than that, which actually is is way more complicated than that. And then the next page, she said she spoke about a dad. She said a short man with a gap in his feet a dimple in his left chain cheek and one on his chain it was along with my mother my grandfather my word oh bless her man she loved her dad well she still love him but he died um due 
due to flu complications while she was in India. When she was 18, she went to India for some time and then at that died during that time. And she used to say our dad believed in her and used to tell him, used to tell her she could literally be anything she put her mind to because, you know, and um, she said our dad was beautiful she found she secured her first job through her dad because her dad was working with this firm and she got her first job as a secretary because her dad um literally gave out the job in the firm and she was like yeah she was she was beautiful and she she spoke about how he wanted to speak to be a sports writer but then at that point in time it was not just possible because this was like in the 80s and in the 70s and a black man wanted to be a sports writer, then you see how impossible that is in England. So, yeah. And she spoke about how Apatana grandparent are like, they raised him to believe in himself. And yeah, how everything just went into chaos from there. Well, not chaos, because they loved each other until his very last breath, how she went to see him at the hospital and everything. Okay, back to the next. Um, thingy. Oh, her dad died when she was 21. And she saw, she spoke about how she was um, told she was unattractive, primarily by boys who look just like her, that it could mistake for her brother. So this is what happened. Like, if you're raising black sons, black, black male children, honestly, show them love and let them understand. Girls that look like you are beautiful. Because I don't understand the level of self-hate that is within our community to believe that get black girls are not are not attractive enough. And this point is being constantly just it's been constantly put in the heads of these boys all the time and they're just saying it to black girls. We look just exactly like them. Like, hello, have you seen the mirror today? We, we, we look, literally, we look the same. And you are telling me I'm unattractive. And you are? Or what makes me not attractive? It's just, it's so sad. It's really sad. And then she spoke about her dad. She was like, the first man to ever love me without wanting anything in return was no longer here to help me encourage a positive sense of self. Which is excuse me which is really sad because obviously she 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 really liked her dad and her dad really liked her as well and it was that moment it downed her that like this is real life like <laughs> this is it and she spoke about how she wanted the desmond kind of setup how she wanted her own family a black family and black husband black children and she 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 spoke about how she wanted everything in details i don't want um, so yeah so next she talk about um our struggles with our peers that never seen their dad their dad was absent in their life what they went through and she said whilst i i not only knew my father and that he wanted and loved me i have been close enough to feel the flames of pain and anger that emit from those who perhaps couldn't pick their fathers out in a lineup and my heart goes up to them. From what I had witnessed, I never wanted to be left holding a baby alone. And more to that point, I had to assess 
unpack and show gratitude at what having my father present in my life had done for me and my self-esteem. Even if we were only able to spend two, 20, no, 20 years together, even if we were only able to spend 20 years together, it was of utmost importance to me that I had a baby with a man who understood that being a single mother wasn't in my plan at all. And she said, for better or worse, but they understood, which was good for her, man. And she said, we're really encouraged uh, to, like, be involved with Bade, not be involved, but in a relationship with Bade was because he had a daughter from previous relationship and he made it straight to her that you cannot be the center of my word because there's someone at the center already because I already had a daughter and this is the situation and if you're happy with it, you're ready to get into that, that is fine. And she, that she said, that kind of made, made that feel like even if they separate, if they go the separate way at the end of the day, it's going to continuously be in the life of our children because that just gave us some kind of reassurances that this man is not the one to just leave his children unattended and she spoke about um how she and her friends we joke about not wanting to be uh to have baby mama drama to be with a man that's already had a child and she said it was indeed the child is at before that made him believe he would not leave her stranded at least it would not leave her children stranded and then she said the concept of a baby mother isn't burnt it is created so you know it's so sad like it's just it's just the old dynamic of the world now is everything is changing so fast and so quickly and it's just like oh yeah baby mama is saying often as a as a bad stereotype and it's like when you say baby mother some can some the idea in your head present a, a, a kind of person which is so sad but anyways that's the end of chapter two you know as always i'll read out the last chapter for you to know what's what our ending note is so i read from the first stop it says it's consumption it's let me see i'm waiting for the i'm looking for the first stop Okay, it said, if conception comes from a child, from a, from the fact that a boy choose not to be a man and do his duty as a father, and as a result, people frown upon a woman just doing the best she can with the cards she has been dealt with. With that said, I was going to have this baby with Buddy. Hopefully, the cards will be in my favor. I'm not sure if that paragraph where I started from is explanatory enough, but she was just basically saying. It's not the woman's fault she's a baby mother. There's someone else involved in the production of this child. Production sounds weird, but it is. It's, it's, a, it's a reproduction of this child. So don't throw stones at me for doing all I can with this cat that I've been played, for not being useless, for standing up and saying, this is my child and I'm going to raise them to the best of my ability. Do not cast stones at me for just simply making the best decision for a life of created for being simply responsible that's what she's trying to reveal in this in this section and i hope i've not actually oh my god 23 minutes okay all right um that's where we're gonna stop today thank you very much for listening and then i'll see you 
at the next chapter, chapter three, next week. Thank you. Bye.